0: Welcome to the Prime Podcast. This episode is brought to you by me, Anthony Mercurio Performance. I just want to reach out and let you guys know that every year, every summertime especially, we love working with youth and college athletes. So this year we are running a smaller group program. We are limiting it to only six athletes per session. This will allow us to maximize coaching time, building relationships with the young folks, and allowing us to help them find their prime, right? Again, that's our goal to educate, empower, and elevate both with adult clientele and our youth and college athletes. So if you have anyone interested in participating and joining our little club here, then reach out, let us know, and we'll get the ball rolling. Enjoy the episode and we'll see you soon. You are now listening to the Prime Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring and investigating all things health, fitness, and performance related. When something is in its prime, it is at its best. This includes us as humans. Are you ready to take on the world? And join us on this journey to live life in your prime. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Podcast. Today, we are back to the original crew. The original two, just Tori and I. Sam had to run out, and um, that's where we're at. So, we have a couple of questions from our member base, and also a couple of things that we're going to follow up from previous episodes that have gone, not uncovered, but in more depth with. We had talked about them in our podcast. We try to keep them between... 30 in an hour and 15 minutes, very broad range of time. Even today, somebody who has been listening had mentioned that they thought they would like the shorter form podcast and they're finding that they really enjoy the longer form because we are, we have the ability in a longer form position to go deeper into topics and talk more about certain topics. So while we will keep, Continue to kind of keep it down. It's probably not going to happen very often. <laughs> but today we are in a bit of a time crunch, as I have to go pick up my daughter in about 45 minutes. So if we're not done by then, she'll be waiting for me, and being very upset. You'll hear about it. You'll <laughs> hear about it. And you will all hear about it next time. So Tori, what do we? What do we? Should we start with? We have a couple of these questions. I, you, you decide which which way we should start and where we're gonna go.
1: I'm gonna start with the well biggest one, I guess. First is. The art of saying
0: no. Ooh, the art of saying no. You could write a book. I would love to. Yeah. So this came from a, from a member, and we were talking about different things, and we have a lot of philosophical conversations. I want to say that this came up because we were talking about running a business and the luxury or and having the luxury or ability to say no to certain things, and not always having to chase after money or clientele or things like that. So when you're in a new business, or if a business, like in my perspective, is your only source of income, which Prime has never been my family's sole source of income, which has allowed me a ton of freedoms in the ability to take risks, the ability to grow, the ability to do a lot of different things, and then the ability to say no if I wanted to. I never was chasing after money for sake of money or different things like that, because I think when you do that, you start doing things that you don't want to do. And when you start doing things you don't want to do, or for a price that you don't feel valued for, you begin to have resentment towards the thing. Whether that's a person, let's say if I agreed because I was hurting for money, I agreed to do personal training for $10 an hour, below minimum wage. I might be okay for a couple of sessions. Then afterwards, I may start to resent you or the fact of me making that decision that I learned from my good friend Shantae about business in terms of, yeah, you can charge low at first until you can't anymore. If that makes sense until you don't want to anymore. So initially when you're starting off, yes, maybe you don't have the experience. Maybe you don't have the ability to say no, but as you start gaining experience and you start maybe niching down to like what you want to be and you start getting a clientele base, you can start to, focus and, and really nail down the type of people you want to work with. And then you can also say no to the people you don't want to work with. That's from the business perspective. And I think in terms of from a health and wellness perspective, the ability to say no to something that doesn't align with your goals. We had talked about it with cake off air before or pizza or ice cream or different things like that. And if you go to a family gathering or you're out to dinner or, you know, the, I think in, in what's that documentary, McDonald's documentary? Supersize Me? Supersize Me, right? In Supersize Me, he never said no, right? That was the whole Uh thing. Like if they asked him if he wanted to supersize it, he always had to say yes. Or do you want fries with that? He always said yes. Uh Like in his rule book of Supersize Me, he was not allowed to say no. Right? So if you never say no to things, you end up doing and getting a lot of things you don't want. And I think that's where people get confused because they don't want to say no because they feel like it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Especially in terms of food and food gatherings. You know, if you go to... I'll use my parent, my mother as an example. If you go to her house and you say no to the food, oh, my food's not good enough for you. (laughs) You know, oh, like you don't eat this kind of stuff. And then you start getting that, you know, you get a little bit of a guilt trip. But it's like, no, I don't want it because it doesn't make me feel good. No, I don't want it because it doesn't fit with what I'm trying to do. No, I don't want to, you know, take on this client because they don't fit to what we're trying to do. And just so many different things and having that power to say no in my whatever knowledge bank, there was somewhere in one of the books or documentaries or different things that I read that was saying, you're not remembered for the things that you say yes to you're remembered for the things you say no to.
1: Interesting. Yeah. i gotta sit on that one for a minute.
0: (laughs) Because I I think they were talking about like working with really famous people Mm -hmm. and saying no to somebody you remember or you're remembered more for the things you say no to versus the things you say yes to. And I think that's what, because when you can say no to things, you can put things in alignment with what's your own goals and our integrity and all that kind of stuff.
1: So we talked about food in the gym from a coaching standpoint. I thought about this and maybe it doesn't exist and maybe it does. Do you expect athletes and clients to say no to you when you push them and tell them that they can go further or heavier?
0: Well, I don't, I don't think I expect athletes to say no, but there is always the potential of that. And I think we talked about it a long time ago, and I know Jess loves this one, but we have a surrogate self-belief in people. Right? As a coach, we see you move. We see what you're capable of. And if I watch you move, and you are moving the bar, and you're moving in the exercise, you're moving well, you're moving fast, you're moving efficiently, and you may not believe that you can do more but I know from experience that you probably can do a little bit more. So I have to have like a surrogate self-belief in you until you believe in yourself. That will allow you or allow us to build a better relationship. Now, is there going to be some times when you are like, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. And that's okay. And I think that's where people get confused. Like some gyms that I've heard of, Not that I know from personal experience, but I hear stories from many members who travel in different places and to do different things and they get coerced or forced into doing things that they didn't want to do. And I think in that position, you have every right to say, no, I don't feel comfortable with that or no, can I do something else? And that's what our job in the gym is, is to make you feel comfortable, to make you feel safe and to make you do something to move your body. I'm not here to make you deadlift a million pounds. I'm not here to make you do those things. My goal is for you to move more and move better and move more efficiently and feel better. And all those things that you want to do also, we're on the same wavelength. So saying no is, is, I guess I don't expect anybody to say no, but it's, it's a possibility. And if it is, then we come up with a plan that will allow them to do something different.
1: If a client comes to you and they have whatever on the bar and they want to do more, but as a coach, you're kind of like weary of them doing it because what they just did didn't look so hot. Are you, do you have no problem saying, no, you probably shouldn't do that?
0: I personally have no problem with that, but I also tell them why. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big takeaway that people don't, if you don't know why, then I think it's harder for people to digest That, that why part holds a lot of weight. If you were to go to somebody and say, Hey, I think we should back it off a little bit. This happened here and I just don't want you to get hurt. And I don't want anybody to get hurt. Like when people get hurt in the gym, it it hurts my feelings a little bit. Like I Mm -hmm. feel hurt about it and I I have trouble when things like that happen. Like it's makes me not sleep at night legitimately because I don't want to see anybody get hurt in the gym because like Mm -hmm. I said before, this is an opportunity for you to feel good and, move more, move better, move more efficiently. And that's my goal. So if you were to come here and you get hurt while doing something that we prescribed, then we miss something, Mm -hmm. whether the coach in the class or we're prescribing things that are are too challenging for you. And we want to make sure that that's better.
1: I don't have anything more on saying no do you.
0: No, I think that was the gist of it. And I think that as you move forward, no is one of the first words kids learn. Mm Mm-hmm. And that power of no is if you have kids or if you've been around a toddler or things like that, that no, it can be super frustrating if people just won't do the thing that you you want them to do. And I think it's a very powerful thing for you as an adult to be able to say no to certain things and can free up your life to live a more fulfilled life that you want to do. Because like I said before, if you say yes to everything, you end up doing things that you don't want to do and things that you may regret or resent moving forward.
1: I was going to sit here and say I'm pretty blunt person. So like saying no is no problem for me, but like, honestly it is.
0: You don't say no. I mean you to flat
1: out say like, no is, is harder for me to like give a roundabout reason as to why I'm, I'm not.
0: So, oh, so you're saying if somebody comes with you with a project or something like that, you won't just say no. You'll be like, "Well, I got this, that," and you so you make like an yeah. excuse to make excuse it seem like
1: excuse or like some reason that like maybe I could do it, maybe I can, mm-hmm. maybe this time.
0: Yeah, we ha- we used to have at the at the back in the day in the five thirty a.m. class. We used to have the continuum of maybe. So every Thursday, because Fridays used to be a fr- Friday morning used to be a really really light potentially nobody would come. Mm-hmm. It would maybe be one or two people like Monday through Thursday would be packed. Every person would be in it. And then Thursday we would have the continuum. I think Tim, Tim made it up the continuum of maybe, which is like, well, maybe I'll come. I'll try. And then there was like five or six different words that if you say that really mean you're not going to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're asking somebody out to go out to coffee with you Yeah. and maybe I asked Tori, Tori, you going to come out for coffee. Well, I'll, I'll try to make it. Tori's not coming. No. No. You know, maybe if this happens and this happens and the world, you know, is happening and all the the sky is bright <laughs> and there's no rain and there's no dirt and there's nothing out in the world, I might come.
1: There's sun out. Nobody's doing anything you want them to be doing.
0: Yeah. So though that continuum of maybe, there was like five words. I got to think of the, the words that Tim came up with, Maybe I'll, I'll reach out to him. I soon.
1: don't blame him at 530 in the morning. You guys are saints for doing that. Well,
0: I don't think it's, it's sainthood. I think it's... Just the different ab- breed. Ability... And understanding of what the rest of your day looks like.
1: It's probably nice to get it out of the way and not have to worry about it.
0: And I think after a certain amount of time, it just becomes what you do. And like we talked about the power of habit, 5.30 or the 5 a.m. class, if you look at the numbers, those people are the most consistent. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there's nothing that's going to get in your way at 5 a.m. There's nothing like waking up at 4.30 to come to the gym becomes a habit. And then once you wake up at 4.30, what are you going to do? You might as well just go to the gym, even yeah. if you don't feel like it, or even if it's a movement you don't like or whatever, you're already awake. So you're like, well, I might as well just go anyway and just go do it. So there's nothing that gets in the way. You know, you don't get out of work and it's like, oh, it's nice outside. Maybe I'll go for a walk instead. Oh, my car, I need gas. I get gas. I'm late to the gym. Ah, I'm not going to go. You know, and then start, you start mm-hmm. rolling those excuses. not as many excuses at, at 5 a.m.
1: No. Pretty much the only ones up but the birds. Yeah. So moving on. We got this question from a steady 5 a.m. person, actually. So nice segue, as you would say. Aren't you too old to be doing that was the exact comment and question that they received. So talking about aging and fitness, maybe like the stigma behind being a certain age and doing something that looks, quote unquote, dangerous or intense.
0: Yeah. So the biggest misconception is that strength training or weight training or Functional fitness, intensity, whatever it is that we do, and group strength conditioning is our formal assessment of what we do. That only a certain clientele can do it, or only a certain age group. You know, maybe young, athletic, blah 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 blah. Unfortunately, the elderly or older folks. You know, not elderly, but people who are aging and they're getting in their late forties, early fifties, sixties. They need strength training and dynamic movements more than anybody else. Here's why. As you age, your type 2 muscle fibers, which are your explosive muscle fibers, start to deteriorate. Your slow strength, which is kind of like your aerobic strength, which are type 1s, they kind of stay. When you fall, when you walk up and down things eccentrically, right, and you load things really fast, those are where your strength and all those things come into play. So if you're an elderly person and you don't have the strength or support to be able to catch yourself fast, then you fall. And one of the biggest things that happen for elderly is they fall and break their hip. And once you break your hip, death isn't far behind. It's just the research. That's what it's, that's what it mm-hmm. shows. So it, the idea that we don't need to be stronger and don't need to do strength training is the biggest fallacy that's out there. Because like, maybe people are just like, I just walk. But walking isn't really a, I mean, it's a form of exercise, but it's not really a form of exercise. And um, Just like running is, is similar. Like we talked about, uh, I forgot who, I think I talked about it with Karen. But running, walking, all those things don't put your body through a full range of motion. They're very limited. So you want to be able to strengthen your joints and strengthen things through the different positions. In addition, weight training or anything that's weight-bearing increases your bone density. So it prevents you from breaking bones as you get older. So if I, you know, if you've heard of osteoporosis, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The commercial. The commercial. (laughs) Are you talking about psoriasis or osteoporosis?
1: You hear about all of them. So osteoporosis
0: is a decrease in bone density as you age, predominantly in females. So as you age, your bones become more brittle and they break more easily. How do you fight that? Weight training. You, anytime you're weight bearing, your body, just like anything else, it adapts, and it's like, oh, I need to, now. I, let's say I weigh 150 pounds. Now I have 200. Now I have 100 pounds on my back. Now I weigh 250 pounds. So my bones need to be strong to support that. So it'll calcify and, and thicken the bone structure to make them a little bit more dense and able to handle more stuff, to make you less susceptible to injury, less susceptible to pain and discomfort in the future. Tori's just sitting there nodding her head. Nodding just listening and
1: taking it all in.
0: So osteoporosis plays a huge role. Falling plays a huge role. And then just general function, right? Everyone's seen elderly folks move around the grocery store or move in and out of a store. Like, they don't move very well. Like, my, if I can move fast and be like an athletic 80-year-old, I'm going to do that. Like, why not be able to live your life and function the way you want to function? Like, if you're 80 and you want to go for a hike, you don't just go up and do it if you've never done physical activity before. So you have to have this base level of strength and endurance and all those different things. And where else do you do it? Other than the gym. So to say that you're too old to do something is never the the case. Remember, age is like, just like the, the saying goes, age is nothing but a number. You can keep yourself young by continuing to strength training, by continuing to do athletic movements and keep your body young and capable to do things well into the future.
1: Middle age is prime time.
0: That's what they say.
1: Prime time. And then the people who maybe don't play the age card, but play the injury card, they're probably mentally setting themselves up for it before they even try it.
0: That they're going to get hurt doing it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. People think that they're going to get hurt because they don't understand a hundred percent about what is actually happening. And Like we talked about before, if you look at the news or you look at anything that's publicized about certain things, they only publicize the negative things. That's why you can't watch the news because the news is full of negativity. When you have all that negative energy coming at you all the time, what else are you to think? Then I'm going to do that and I'm going to get hurt. Everybody who does it gets hurt. That's not true. I would say very few of the people who come here get hurt and certain things have way less instances of injury than other things that people might do. You know, so I think looking at the injury, playing that injury card is definitely just a cop out and not being comfortable or having the education to know what is actually happening inside of a gym. And I had this conversation with somebody this morning. The differences between going to like a Planet Fitness or going to a gym like this are vastly different. And people think they're the same. So it's hard for folks to justify spending let's say our membership is $159 a month and you can play for your whole year of planet fitness for that. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, well, why would I do that? And why would I go to a gym like that for, for, you know, however many times that is 10 times the amount. It doesn't make any sense. But once you're in here, the conversation wouldn't happen this morning with Kaylee. Once you're in here, you don't even think about it because it's just, it's worth it. If you come every day and you have like an unlimited package. You come every day. It turns out to be like 7 or $8 a class.
1: I'm getting what It's that's like not a cup of that, coffee. That's the coach. That's the coaches. It's the that's workouts what I'm saying. Like Money-wise,
0: you know, you, people start thinking like it's, it's a money thing and then it's an injury. It's mm-hmm. all these different things. So I, I agree with, with you 100% that you get way more, but the money part of it and you get all that stuff that factors in. So the $8 a class is you know, like a fancy cup of coffee.
1: The people who are worried about the money are probably afraid of how not committed themselves they're going to be. It's probably deep down if you realize it, what they're afraid of is they can't commit to it. So why are they going to pay that much? They're not looking at like what's actually inside the gym.
0: Right. And that was also a point of, that came up this morning is that if you utilize it, if you utilize mm-hmm. it appropriately, it's yeah. more than well worth the financial investment. Absolutely, and then the in like I said, the injury card. If you are you, the same thing is if, if you are utilizing it appropriately, and you are coachable, and you have the ability to come regular. Like if you come once a week, and or you don't come very frequently, you come once and then you don't come for two weeks and you come, you're more susceptible to injury because you're not learning the movements, you're not preparing your body for more challenging things. So then, it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. Because then you're you're really sore. You come, you get injured, and you're like, I'm not coming. Then it's not worth the money. And then all these things turn into the snowball effect of negativity instead of being an opportunity for you to be more positive about it.
1: Positive mindset. Hard to come across. Really? For some people. Or a consistent one, rather. Maybe not. I don't know. Being being depressed is like a trend nowadays, so...
0: (laughs) It it is, but it isn't. I think we talked about this before with social media, and the idea that everyone has feelings, obviously, and the idea that somehow my feelings are more important than your feelings is also the trend on social media. Mm -hmm. But my feelings are no more valid than your feelings. No. Your feelings are just as important, but your feelings may not be important to me. Like your personal feelings are, of course, (laughs) because I love you. Thank you. I
1: appreciate that.
0: But in social media, everybody who posts on social media thinks that everyone has to share in their feelings. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if I post something about how I feel, not me personally, but a lot of folks feel like everyone should feel the same that I feel. And this is where we're running into this weird dichotomy in things right now where we have to pick sides, we have to do all this sort of thing. But the feeling part of it is, is a difficult aspect because people, like you said, people want to be depressed and people want to, you know, it's a trendy thing to be depressed or the trendy thing to be whatever you want to put out there. But all of it is just like to grab attention. Not, not that it's not real, but I think a lot of it is to grab attention and to, validate something or some sort of feeling that they're putting out there in a way to make themselves feel better.
1: I don't even go on Facebook anymore because of that reason. I felt like that was the worst of them all.
0: Facebook's different. Yeah. I don't really go on Facebook that much. And I think it's harder to curate. Like I talked about last time, being able to curate your experience on Mm -hmm. Instagram. Like I think it's much more difficult on Facebook.
1: For sure. I think Facebook has a, a much more petty and dramatic aspect to it mothers not necessarily the same people yeah. but
0: we have one more big topic we might get into some other little things as we go but we're gonna have we're gonna touch upon this again when Sam is back in the studio as I think she would be a little bit more I'm gonna take it on from the, the men's perspective and then I'll have Sam tackle it from the female perspective so what did, what did you have written down here
1: women in powerlifting specifically How they feel about themselves versus, I mean, not to play that card, but how a man might look at them and, and somebody brought it up. Sometimes they get sarcastic comments, but it's, it might be really like a self-esteem thing that like a quote unquote woman is outlifting you. right? So more more of that, I guess that's how our client tackled it. But if you have something different.
0: I'll take it from the men's perspective, right? Obviously I'm a, I'm a man and I, lift weights and I'm in the gym and I see people lift a lot. I mean, I'm I'm not going to say I'm fortunate, but I'm in a position where, you know, I can see everything from a different perspective. And I think one of the things that you find in our type of gym is our clientele is very heavy female. And the, one of the reasons why I think is because many men don't want to feel like I just said, inferior to a group of women who are in there, who are lifting more weight than them, who are beating them in workouts, who are doing whatever you want to look at in terms of physicality. And if you remember last time when we talked about Daring Greatly by Brene Brown.
1: I I wanted to come back so bad to that because I remembered her name too. Uh,
0: She talks about how men deal with shame. And one of them is physicality. So if they come into a gym where they see a whole bunch of women doing more physical things than they can, they're capable of doing at this moment, they feel inferior and feel a sense of shame about their own self-esteem. Like we had just talked about. And one of the ways that men, if you read the book deal with shame is peace out. They don't go after it. Why mm-hmm. they get very quiet and they get oh, away they, they kind of, they, they run I don't even know what the classified term sheet, but they kind of run away. Mm-hmm. They get quiet. They get into themselves and they don't go outward. So having somebody that goes out, out of their way to like, yeah, they're stronger than me and that's awesome. And I might be there someday and look at things from a different perspective takes a different type of person. That's a non-traditional in that role. Um, traditionally how at least her research has suggested that men deal with shame and how we, what we look at in terms of shameful behaviors, and then how we deal with that shame as a response.
1: I wrote a paper just recently about not so much seeing people in the gym, but like maybe on social media that like double-edged sword of you could react and be upset that you're not there, or you can actually like show appreciation for that other person and like be genuinely happy and have that thought that I'll get there one day. Yeah. I mean... I don't deal with that, but I'm sure it's a common thing.
0: But I think that's, I had this, another random conversation about, we always tend to compare ourselves to everything that we see. A conversation came this morning with a personal training client as two members walked out of the gym. One, you know, middle-aged, I guess, whatever you want to say, like my age, generally fit looking and one a little bit older. And he had said, Looking at the two, you're like, oh, she's really fit. And he's like, oh, and if she's in class, then I I could definitely be in class kind of thing. Like looking at the different types of people in class. And that's one of the great things about our gym is that if you do look at a particular, if you took a snapshot of a class, sometimes you have so many different types of people. Absolutely. You have big, you have small, you have old, you have young, you have super athletic, non-athletic, you have strong, weak, whatever. And there's all these different levels of people in one class, in one room doing the same thing and it's really cool to see but then I had followed up by saying yes we all compare ourselves to different people and we're all at different levels I use Sam as an example because Sam was in there I was like she may want to look like Sam and like she may want to look like her and then you mm-hmm. may want to look you know And then there's all these different like everyone wants to look like the next thing yeah nobody can just be happy where they are with who who they are how they look and how they do things listening to bill maher i've been in this bill maher kick on his Who's that? he's a he's like a politic comedian talk show host guy okay and he had sharon osborne on yesterday and she got fired for some silliness from her uh, tv show you know who sharon osborne is
1: is she on the view the one talk, of those the talk the talk? Or but yeah, I know she's she osborne's
0: yeah. wife i know So they were talking, he's 64, she's 68. And they were talking about being reeducated about certain topics that are hot topics in our society right now. And he was, he stated, Sharon Osbourne, like you're 68 years old, you've, your husband was a rock and roll star. You've traveled the world. You've seen more things and been around more things than probably anybody else. Most people in the world, right? Mm -hmm. How many people have like had rock and roll stars as their husbands and like been around you know probably i couldn't even imagine the type of stuff she might have seen you know what i mean yeah for sure like i doubt, i highly doubt she's not educated on all these different topics of sociology and different things because of her experiences and she's mm-hmm. 68 years old and i think they once you get to a certain point you feel really comfortable in your own skin with who you are both physically you know educationally mentally however you want to look at it and i think that's where we all striving to be being the most comfortable in our skin that we can be and whatever that looks like for us some of us don't know yet and some of us are are striving for things that might not make a big of a difference like we talked about last time like is that 10 pounds really going to make a difference and I think we have to find the things that matter most and stop getting caught in like the nuances of things that distract us from the things that truly make us happy
1: I think that's why people should just get over social media
0: what do you mean get over it not like get off
1: it but get over what's on it like everybody's using it. It's everybody's life. It just get over it. Use it for what you want. Move on. That's what I had to learn. I'm not that I was looking at people and being like, I want to be them. Yeah. I got off of it because I was spending too much time on it, which is a whole nother stupid issue that shouldn't exist. But somebody had to like, tell me like, what does it matter? We're all on it. It's and our it, life.
0: And I, to say you're doing too much time on it is, is yes and no. But if you look at 15 years ago, people were just watching TV. Exactly. They were just doing something different. Mm -hmm. Now your entertainment is just different. You're doing the same things. You still have the same amount of screen time. Like nobody was counting how much time you sat in front of the TV.
1: Did you ever watch Pretend It's a City on Netflix? No. It's like a seven-part documentary. uh, Fran Butch. she's like a writer or whatever. I don't know, Martin Scorsese just followed her on New York and somebody asked her and they said, are you nervous for the current and new generations for what technology will do for them? And she said no, because that's all they ever knew. Yeah. That's all they'll ever know. So there's no reason to worry about it.
0: Yeah. I think I'm my age. I am kind of like the last generation of people who grew up without cell phones. Mm-hmm. I ha- I didn't have a cell phone until I went to college. And even then the cell phone that I had didn't have much functionality.
1: Did it look like the Save by the bell ones?
0: It wasn't like that. No, <laughs> it was a brick phone and it had a monochromatic like green screen and you couldn't text. Or you didn't text because it was so, it just took so long. People never texted. it. was like, why would you ever text? And you had AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. Mm -hmm. That was like your main source of communication. And you used to leave, you know, people are going to start laughing about it because you know. But you, in order to like let people know where you were, because Mm -hmm. you didn't have a phone or anything like that to text or do whatever, you would leave on your, you would have an away message on AIM that would tell you like, oh, I'm at a party at such and such. I'll be there all night. See you there kind of thing. And then people would just check everyone's instant messages to see what everyone, or everyone's away messages to see what everyone's doing tonight. (laughs) So you couldn't text anybody. You would just see them at the party. You would go to the party where you were at and they're like, oh, you know, then we meet up. Then people met up. And that's how you did it. And there wasn't this, I don't think texting even became a thing until maybe I was a senior in college. And even still, like texting wasn't huge. You know, so we're talking... And this is early 2000s. So I didn't have, you know, growing up, I didn't have social media like that.
1: No. But like you said, it's it's what we know. So we can't think that there's something better or, you know. Different. Different. That we should be doing something else.
0: Right. Because what else is there? Exactly. Exactly. Social media is life.
1: Well, I think, I don't know. I brought up the point the other day, like when it's a sunny day here. If you don't go outside, you haven't been fulfilled for that day. That's how people do it. And I think if you apply the same thing to social media, like if you haven't read today or you haven't done this or you haven't done that, but you were on social media all day, it's a bad day. I think people kind of feed into that a little bit and they don't need to.
0: Yeah. And I think what you have to realize, and this is becoming more and more popular, the idea that Instagram and social media in general is people's like the highlight reel of your life. Mm hmm. So if you're looking at one snapshot of somebody's life, it's just a snapshot. It's just a piece. And Seth Godin, who's a famous marketer, talks about people want to see your authentic self. But if I was truly being authentic and people were truly being their authentic self, you would see different parts of them. You wouldn't just see this consistent best self all the time you would see their downs, you would see their ups, you would see all the in-between. You never see somebody, unless they're trying to make a point, you never see somebody share their real struggles on social media. You never see people crying or doing these really negative things. Very rarely, and I guess, and again, unless it's to prove a point. So his thing is that in marketing, nobody cares about your authentic self. They care about your consistent best self. So when you when people post things, they're posting their best self as consistently as they can. They're not posting all the other things that make them up.
1: I'm just smiling because I saw something the other day that said there's a difference between authenticity and transparency. Yes. Authenticity is how you share in what way you, you know, put it out there and transparency is how much you share of that. Yeah. I agree with I that. Think that people just use them interchangeably and now learning that you can't.
0: No, they're, they're different. Like being like, I can be authentic without being transparent.
1: Cause like how we are on social media is not much different than, or at all different.
0: Oh, you and me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would say I'm but verbally and communication wise. I'm the exact same person in real life. Probably.
0: I'm pretty close. I would say, yeah. I mean, you, you see me and talk to me every day. Physically,
1: you, I might look different, but you you're the same. Yeah. And I would say how physically, I
0: physically, I look better in person. <laughs> 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 Tori had no response. No, I response.
1: didn't know that was coming, but I mean, yeah. And in, in terms of communication, how, how you share, I don't feel like we would differ.
0: Yeah. But and I think my, some of the point of my communication or in, or in communicating on social media is to talk like a real person and talk like you would, if you were to, to see me, it should feel like we've met before if we have never met before. And I think the more we talk here, And the more people hear us and the more people see what we do like that's going to be as authentic as it can be and obviously here we're not transparent because i I guess we are transparent in certain things but i'm not going to talk about my problems or all my negative things that are happening in my life because that's not the goal that's not the purpose and again when people come in the gym if i'm in there talking about my problems all the time people won't want to be there if i'm in there complaining about politics all the time people wouldn't want to be there if I'm sharing my opinions that are very left or right, then people aren't going to want to be there. People aren't going to want to listen to this. Heck no. So the idea is that, yes, we are being authentic in terms of showing you the best selves and having a topic of conversation that we want to dive into and to help you with. But we're not going to share all the negative things that are happening in our life because then it's going to bring you down. We're not here to bring you down. We're here to lift you up and have fun doing it. Damn straight. Damn straight. <laughs> Tori is not my very talkative today.
1: I'm, I'm trying. I'm learning. I learn as I go. Slowly learning like I Slowly said. Slowly learning. She's, up,
0: she's updating the show notes as we go, though. She's doing a great job with that.
1: I could talk about these things all day long. So. Sociology? Yeah. I love sociology. better that I just cut it off at some point. I've been told I'm too aggressive.
0: Too aggressive how?
1: In the way that I talk. Like, like if somebody comes to me with a problem... I've been going to therapy, so I think I'm cool now, right? I think I've learned a few things. So if I sit there and talk with them for long enough, I start just getting aggressive. Like, come on, get to the point, realize what you're doing wrong. Mm. And maybe I don't need to do that, but.
0: But I think a lot of people don't realize. So this can go to any, any facet of health, fitness and wellness too, because we can, we got to kind of tie these things back into kind of why we do, why we're doing this. <laughs> All right? So, one of the hardest things to do, and I had this conversation with Shantae again, because I was talking about foam rolling. And I was like, why are so many practitioners, physical therapists, chiropractors, and all these different people, so negative towards foam rolling? Mm-hmm. They essentially do the same thing in their office. When they give you a massage and, and all that kind of stuff, it's essentially foam rolling. Like if somebody gives you a back massage, it's essentially you rolling on your back. It's a little different, obviously, but same kind of idea. And she said that... When people think they can fix their problems on their own through foam rolling, it could, they don't actually get fixed, so to speak. right. So let's say if I have a back injury and someone says just foam roll and it'll be fine. They foam roll for three weeks and their back never gets better. Their back continually gets worse structurally inside. So then when they finally go to a therapist, they're worse off than they were before. And the therapist has to re-educate them and tell them what they've been doing is incorrect. And when you have to tell somebody that something they're doing is incorrect, it takes so much longer to do it than to just help them with the problem initially before they come up with their own ideas about these different things. So that de-education to then re-educate is a much longer and harder process than to just educate initially. I made a post a long time ago about, I think it's, I don't even remember the numbers now, but it was like, it takes a thousand repetitions to learn a movement. It takes 10,000 to relearn an old, to, to fix an old movement. So if you're, if you're fun, if you've learned how to do something incorrectly, it takes 10 times as long. Essentially. I don't remember the exact number. I got to look it up and we'll put it in the show notes, but mm-hmm. it takes like 10 times as long to re to fix a bad movement pattern, to relearn it, to do it the right way. So if you're doing things the wrong way for so long and then you have to adjust it, it takes that much, it's that much more difficult. So when you're saying like, you want to try to help people like, Hey, how come you don't understand what you're doing is wrong? Yeah. Because people don't think what they're doing is wrong. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. If they thought what they were doing was wrong, they wouldn't do it.
2: Mm hmm.
0: And you can't convince somebody what they're doing is wrong. And that's why people might be saying you're aggressive because you can't tell somebody what they're doing is wrong because if you were like, you're wrong, Mm -hmm. that's the number one trigger for people to start being defensive. Yes. And then when they start being defensive, you, there's no, there's, I stop talking. That's the end of it. (laughs) That's the end of it. Right. But yeah,
1: people don't want to see things until they have to, or they end up doing it. Like nobody, you can't convince somebody else of something until they're ready.
0: For sure. There's that old, I I don't know. proverb that was talks about like when the student is ready the teacher appears i like that so like you're saying like nobody's gonna nobody's ready to to take on information until they're ready and you can be the teacher that knows everything and does everything but it doesn't matter if you're the best coach the best therapist the best whatever if that person isn't ready to receive that information it's not going to make a lick of difference
1: just like all the people that go to Planet Fitness that don't want to come here.
0: No. Well, they just don't. Well, <laughs> I'm kidding. They might think that. Planet well, they
1: think it's not worth it coming here.
0: That. Right. And there's no convincing that person. No. So the conversation isn't worth it in with that person because they have the answer. And mm-hmm. it's the answer that makes sense to them. And convincing them is a, a difficult battle and a battle that's not really worth fighting.
1: You have such egos. Who? Humans.
0: A human. Oh, for sure. And I think it's it's more of like a a defense mechanism to feel to not be wrong with what you're doing. Because when you feel wrong, when somebody tells you you're wrong or that what you're doing what you're doing is wrong, your feelings aren't valid. All these different things it makes you feel like less of a human.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's not about like being an egotistical human. It's just feeling Uh-oh. less than. And when you feel less than, we go into the depression and all mm-hmm. these different other side effects, and that can negatively affect all parts of your life.
1: I made the noise. <laughs> it was very loud, too. Sorry. All right. What else? Anything else for us? Or are you got to go pick up your daughter? I
0: got to go pick up Nellie. But Perfect. I think that, that we you know, we touched on some sociological issues, but I think they all, when we talk about fitness, and- so society and how we look at it there's all these different things and stigmas and I, you know around how females should look how men should look what men should be capable of what women should be capable or not capable of and i think we talked about it a little bit before that it's changing slightly but you still have a lot of people who have traditional gender role ideas in their head and it makes it very difficult for females to live in a society where People are constantly looking at them in a certain way and making them feel uncomfortable with things that they are prideful about. Because like I said, it's in that point where I'm very happy. Like if I I'm, I'm quoting Sam a little bit, like she's very proud of the way that her body looks right now because she put in a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And now you, some random person is telling me that my work and the way I look isn't, I shouldn't be happy about it because I look a certain, I look negatively to you. You can't control what other, like how other people respond to you is not what should, I, I don't know, I'm trying to phrase it in a, a proper way, it's a but, reflection how you, of them. but how you react to those things is what makes you happy or unhappy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So it's not the actual person. I think Jamie posted something. I wish I, I saved it, but Jamie posted something about your people's reaction to you or your reaction to them is what actually makes you the happy or unhappy or whatever like that in terms of people's response to you.
1: Cause what they're just saying, the reflection of themselves, not directly like everybody else's views on you.
0: Oh, I found it. I cannot control how others act towards me. I can only control how I react in response true right so as a female as a male if people are reacting a certain way towards you like you can't control that like no amount of education no amount of things that are happening out in the world is going to control how they react to you what their ideas are their ideas but what we can do and will allow us to stay happy and keep our course and stay the course of what we want to do because it's for us is to control how we react to those things in response Now, if we react very negatively and we start thinking negatively, then it's going to turn us into this kind of snowball effect where we can go down a slippery slope of negative emotions and vice versa. If we look at it as a prideful thing, like, yeah, I am stronger than you because you suck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then it allows you to be this type of person that can brush that stuff off and use it as kind of fuel for the fire, so to speak, to kind of continue going down your path of positivity. Full circle. Full circle.
1: How you react. How you say no.
0: How you say no. How you Boundaries. React, all of it. Boom. Tori just did a lot of nodding and smiling today.
1: I learned a lot. Like I said, I had to cut myself off somewhere because it would just be a tangent.
0: Yeah. Tori, Tori learns a lot every episode. If you and want I the hope tangent. you do too. And that's our goal to keep educating and keep bringing you something that's valuable and help you find your prime in the way that you live your life and living your best life, whether it's through fitness, health nutrition just basic sociological issues (laughs) whatever it is we try to bring it all and help you live your best life have a great day and we'll see you next time